Uh, so good to be with you. And if you're a guest with us, if you're new with us, just thanks for taking a risk and joining this church family. Uh, it's a great place to be and to grow. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we've been studying through this great book of Ephesians, and we're right in the middle of it. So I'd encourage you to get your Bible out. If you don't didn't bring one, there's some provided for you right around in front of you. And you can open that up to page 978. That's where you'll find the passage this morning. We're in the second half of Ephesians. If you don't want to, if you just want to look on your phone, that's great. Just uh, Ephesians, we're starting in verse 17, chapter 4, verse 17. And um, let me just give a little framework before we dive right into this passage. So the framework is this, that in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, um, the groundwork is laid. And we're told about not only who God is, but what he's been doing from the very foundations of the world, from the very beginning of creation, what he's been doing for you and what he's been drawing you into that is, what, what would it be like to live life in him, like with, with great intimacy with God and health and relationship with him? And um, it gives us all the foundational parts of that in the first three chapters. And in the second half, it gets very practical about how to live it out. So in essence, the second half of Ephesians calls us to live up to who we are, um, how God has created us to be and to live. And it calls us to all that God has planned for us from the very beginning and how he's designed us. So um, we're in the second half of Ephesians, and in a moment I'm going to begin and read verse 17 through 32. And before we jump in, I just want to underscore this, that there is something that God has done. He's taken you from one place to another if you have stepped into relationship with him. So I need a guinea pig. Thanks, Bruce. Come on down, if you would, please. Isn't that great? I just... Hey, would you welcome Bruce? This is great. And Bruce serves occasionally on our worship team. Now, what I didn't tell Bruce is um, the church recently got some defibrillators. And um, they're in the back, and it's part of the lesson that we want to teach this morning. You know what a defibrillator does, right? It, it takes an electrical current, just goes bam, like that, right? Just Yeah, okay, so... And I had this image... Uh, wouldn't it be great to like, use a defibrillator on Bruce this morning? Because he's a good friend of mine. We, and charge you up. Yeah, wake you up so you wouldn't fall asleep in the row right there, right? And, and uh, I thought, wow, that'd be fantastic. And I got to church this morning all excited about using the defibrillator because we got this training a couple months ago on staff about, you know, what happens if, if someone comes in a different type of emergency. So we trained everybody. In fact, Matt has been itching to be able to use those defibrillator paddles on somebody. And um, so we've all been excited about that. I got to church this morning thinking this is going to be fantastic, right, Bruce? And, and it's going to illustrate this point, that at one point, Bruce, my friend here, was dead. I mean, he was alive, and um, we want to thank you very much for giving birth to Bruce. But, um, but Bruce was dead spiritually. And the Bible tells us that every person who has yet to step into relationship with God by trusting him, by coming to a place where we accept personally the invitation of God to have relationship with us and to trust him with our life and to stop going our own direction, but to turn around. That's called repentance in the Bible and embrace relationship with him and just get honest with him and then Seek that relationship with him and confess our sin before them that he is 
more than willing and loving to bring us into relationship. But before we do that, we're dead. And I want to illustrate that in Bruce's life. At one point, he was dead, just like every person in this room. But then there's that moment where he just like goes, bam, and he gives us that shock. And I thought it would be really great to use that. But then I found out that the fibrillators are locked up and they're alarmed, and I can't get to them this morning. So you're in luck, right? But here's what, here's what I want to tell you, that even though they're locked up and I can't use the physical demonstration I was really looking forward to using on Bruce, Bruce is a new man. I know that personally, that God has done something in his life. And he would love to tell you about how he became new, how God gave him life. So if you've never experienced that yet, I want to give you an opportunity to come up right afterwards. Bruce is going to be sitting right there, and he would love to talk, wouldn't you? He would. And there are a lot of other people who have been shocked in the newness of life, right? Raise your hand if that's been your experience. If you have, so all those people, you just look around, and God would love for you to have a conversation with them. Thanks, Bruce. I'm not going to shock you or anything. But the question remains then is, so that happens. The Bible says there's a point where that happens to a, a person if they come to trust Christ and place their faith in him. You become new and alive in him. And the first three chapters of Ephesians have been teaching us about that. And it's a work of grace, not a work that any person has done. Otherwise, we're going to start taking credit for all that God has done in our life. So it's not that. It's a work of God's love and grace. But at that moment, even though I step into it and positionally before God, I am new, there is still a work that God has got to do in me. And this book was written to people in Ephesus, most of whom were brand new believers, had just come to faith in Christ. They, they hadn't been believers for all these years. And God was starting to do this great work in them, just as he is doing in your life if you are allowing him to do that. And God's not going to force you, like put your head under the water and, until you say, I give, I give, and then start changing you. He is waiting for you to yield up to him those areas of your life that he wants to change. So Ephesians gets at that about what is he doing inside of me now that I become new in him? What is he doing? How does he make you new? And what's the process? So this is Ephesians chapter 4, starting verse 17. This is the word of God to us. Read this with me and think about it deeply. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. It's a phrase he's using to describe all those who have yet to enter into relationship with God who are outside the family of God. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. He's not saying they're stupid. He's saying because of the choices they have made and because of their thought pattern, they've missed the most critical things intellectually in their minds. And it's caused hardness of heart. They become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality. That is a lifestyle that is surrounded and intended to just gratify their own desires or pleasures. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus 
to put off your old self, or quite literally in language, your old man, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's his design for you. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry and do not let do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, I'm actually this morning pretty encouraged because I've had conversation with many of you and um, you, you get the essence of what this passage is talking about. That is, there's far more to a life in Christ than just the immediate issue of where you're headed for eternity, heaven and hell. There is something to be said, and in fact, it's critical and pivotal to life in Christ about what's happening right now in your life, about, about your life today and this week, about the change that God wants to work inside of you this moment and throughout the moments of your week. So the life you have in Christ is not just about that point where you were rescued and saved by God, but there is more to that. I mean, it's true that God, for those of us who stepped in relationship with him, have heaven in our future. But we also have something right now in our present today, right now, and they're the provisions that God gives us for the journey, right? The the stuff right now to live this life that God has called you to. That's what God has for us. And these provisions are intended to make you a healthy, multiplying disciple of Jesus, That's his end goal for you, to be healthy and to be multiplying for you to reach the people in your area, your neighborhood, your group of friends. We call them around here the 8 to 15 people in your life that you're most influential with. And to to start helping those people have relationship with God and then grow up. That is, in essence, one of your great tasks in life is to be a spiritual father or mother to be a parent to those people who are growing up. And that's one of the great responsibilities, isn't it? Every parent in here knows, man, that's, that's a huge load. I didn't even know how amazing it is to be a parent. And that is a big responsibility. But all of us, whether you have your own biological children or not, are called to this mission, this great mission, to nurture and to raise up, encourage people around you in their growth and faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's this great, awesome task that we have. We are a church whose mission is to 
to make disciples of every ethnos. That's it. Every people group. And God has blessed us in this region with a lot of people groups, hasn't he? But our neighbors, our people in our 8 to 15, they comprise the people that God has called us to, to influence. And I believe that there is a hunger that God in his spirit is creating in us, a, a holy discontent that we don't want to be a church, we don't want to be a people who just live a mediocre Christian life, who don't have eternal impact on people around us. And I believe that's a gift of the Spirit of God, that he's calling us out to extend our reach, to be a church that multiplies, to be a church that grows, that's healthy and keeps at it, that keeps it this great mission. And I believe that only happens... That work that God has called us to only happens as God leads us to be a people that aren't impotent, that aren't irrelevant, but have all kinds of power because of God's Spirit working in us. See, the church only matters when the Holy Spirit bursts through. It bursts through our life and calls us to a new kind of life, to leave the old man behind and to hold on to what God has for us that he transforms us to follow Jesus. Why? Because we're called to love a love-starred world. He is calling us, transforming us, so that we might be the love of Jesus to the people around us. And that's expressed in very tangible ways, real ways, right here in the text. So let me ask the question, how does it happen? How does that practically happen? And Paul begins his discussion by saying that your new walk The new you that you're called to is a matter of mind and heart. It's a matter of your mind and heart. Now, when the Bible teaches about transformation in people, it talks first about having our mind changed. That is, our thoughts and our core belief system must become different. Why is that? Why do you have to become different and think differently? Paul says to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the implication is, without that renewal, you won't get it, what's, what's good and acceptable and right, what's perfect for you, how God has called you to become, who, he, who He's calling you out to be. And... On the flip side, if you live in the old way of thinking, you will live in, as this text calls it, ignorance or darkness. Why is that? And there's some implications here that are are important. Now, think about this. You would think in our world, we would look around and observe and we'd see all the advances of science and technology and we're saying, how can you possibly say, how can the words say that people are ignorant I mean, there are a lot of great, fantastic advances. Brilliant people making brilliant observations and discoveries. So is, is that the point that the Bible is making? Is that the accusation it's making about our culture? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's attempting to deny the logic or brilliance or the intellect of our culture. Rather, I think it's making an accusation against the fundamental premise, the assumptions and the direction, the end goal of where that's headed of where that kind of worldly thinking is headed. And it's making this statement that because it's headed in the wrong direction, there has to be a change in us. 
The basic assumption is that the thinking of people outside of Christ is fundamentally flawed because it is, as Paul has addressed it before, it is the natural man, it's the old man. And that's the prime question behind it. What do they think like? And why does it lead to darkness and ignorance? And the point Scripture makes is the old person, the natural part of me, thinks naturally like a two-year-old. It thinks that it, I think that I am the center of the universe, right? And everything revolves around me. And ultimately, that kind of selfish thinking is destructive. It is, as Paul says here, deceitful. And it leads to my ignorance, to darkness, to all kinds of foolish things happening. And not just foolish, but incredibly destructive things happen. The end of that kind of thinking happens and is fleshed out in places like Orlando. That's that's a horrible place for this ending if everything is self-centered. The argument, the fundamental argument Scripture makes is your thinking has to change. This world does not revolve around you. This world instead revolves around God and His glory. It revolves around the glory of God, not you. So, how how does that start to flesh itself out in my life? How, How does that change of perspective start to affect me? And Paul says that if I stay in that one way of thinking that everything revolves around me, all those decisions are going to keep hardening my heart and keep make, shrinking me, as it were. This callous around my feelings, my heart, because I want everything and I want it now and I want everybody to serve me. But when I start this change that God is having me undergo, my heart becomes gradually tenderized toward the things of him and toward people around me. And that new man that he has for me, that new self that he has for us, that is a person, as it says and it ends in the text, who is tender-hearted and forgives others just as Christ forgave us. So how does that work out? How do I pull this off? And the passage argues that it's a matter of practice. Now, those of you who are great athletes, that's not me, by the way, For those of you who are great athletes or the rare people who are fantastic athletes, they don't get there just like falling out of bed and all of a sudden they're there, right? Nobody's able to run a marathon in under two hours and ten minutes by not practicing, not putting in the work. Even if you're a fantastically gifted by genetics person, you got to do the work. Nobody just falls out of bed and is able to have a three-point shot like Steph. It takes hours and hours and hours of practice every week of your life to get to a place where you're actually great. And the truth of it is, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you got to practice. You can't just assume, okay, God made me new, and that's true positionally, so I'm just going to coast from here on out, and it's all going to be good. Actually, there, there has to be a work a daily work in your life to grow in righteousness, to grow in being the kind of person that God wants of you, the kind of person that he can use powerfully. 
And the language Paul uses here really, it's not just your old nature, but it's, like, it's this picture of an old man. And, and that's, that's what you once were. You were. Did you know this, you guys? You were a wrinkled old man. Until, I know, crazy, huh? Until God starts to do this powerful work in you to make you new and to give you energy and life and to move you to where he wants you to. And in order to do that, Paul says, he gives this really great word picture, you have to put off all that's old and you have to put on the new. So I wore this shirt it's about 20 years old this morning. And what God wants you to do is to take off the old stuff. And so here's the deal. You, where'd my mic go? Okay. It's around my neck. Sorry to do this sound, people. I'm, I knew this was going to happen. So as you take off the old, that's a daily habit that you get into. To not think in a self-centered way, to not be motivated by self-serving things, to not go down the road that leads, as Paul says at the end of the text, to bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and all malice, like hatred, to not be consumed by self, but to daily put off the old. Um, years ago, in fact, it was when I very, the first time I began ministry, I just got out of college. I started this church in LA and I, I gave my first message there. The pastor went on vacation. He said, could you do it? Like apparently he tried to ask a bunch of other people and he couldn't find anybody else. And so his new youth pastor, he asked to come and give the message. And I'm just like a young guy, like 21, right? And um, so I go, sure. And it's on this text. And I think, how can I illustrate like taking off the old and putting on the new. And I had a friend who was a fireman, and he had, um, he had a fireproof neoprene suit that you could stick on as a full, like, jumpsuit type of thing. So I thought that would be great. So I put that on, and then I put on, in those days, it was a very conservative church, and I, I put on this three-piece suit, right, on, and I was preaching in this three-piece suit, and I was speaking about the passage, you know, passionately, and I started taking off the suit. I took off my coat, you know, and you could hear a little bit of grumbling in the back because people were not uncomfortable about, you know, being in church without a coat. Isn't it great not to be in a church where you have to have coats? But I took that off, and then I took my tie off as I kept speaking about this, you know. And then I kind of looked at people, see how they were responding, and I took my shirt off. I had a, you know, a T-shirt on, but I took my shirt off, and laid it aside. I kept talking. I took my shoes off. And now people are getting like really uncomfortable with it. And then I kind of looked at people. I'm 21, so I'm going for it, right? I take my belt off. People are like, oh, no. You know, is he, would he really do this? This crazy kid, would he actually pull it? Yes. I dropped my pants in church. Well, I had this full suit on. So underneath, it was okay. I was, you know, covered. And it was white, so it represented, you know, the righteousness of God. I thought, yeah, this is such a great illustration. Of course, we had comment cards like we do here. So that next week, you can imagine all the cards that I got from, you know, people who are very uncomfortable about this. So now it's 20 to 25 years later, and I'm speaking at a friend's church, um, a friend of mine's church, and there was a, it was a large crowd. And uh, after the church service, I was going to my car, and this guy comes running across the parking lot, and he says, you're Ron King. I said, yes, I am. And he says, Look, 25 years ago, I was sitting in this church. I was a brand new believer. 
and I saw you drop your, your shorts, I mean your pants in, in church. I'll never forget that message. And, and, uh, and then he starts giving me point by point my outline of this message that he heard. I was shocked, right? And he got it. He actually got the theme that it wasn't just about the stupid thing that I pulled off in church, but it actually was about this new life. We have to take off the old stuff intentionally and put on the new. I didn't take that risk. Like I've grown. I didn't want the comment cards. I knew they would come. But you actually have to take off the old stuff and you have to put on the new. That's what scripture here is telling us to do. Not not to be wrapped up in our own. The old stuff, as Paul describes in the original language, is consumed by these urges that we have. And he's not just talking about our broken sexuality, though that's part of the discussion Paul has and will continue to develop in Ephesians. But he's also talking about all the other twisted urges that we have so that life would be self-centered around us. The urge to spend recklessly the, the resources God has given us to be a stewardship of. The the self-centered urges I have for selfish ambition and not the ambition to see God be great in my life. A whole set of things that I need to step away from because they're old man stuff. They're the old nature stuff. And to put on the new stuff is what God is calling me toward. And all this is a matter of me continuing to do this practice of, of putting on the new. So I have these friends who gave me this shirt. It's a new shirt. I've never worn it in church before, but it, it's new. The thing about this shirt is um, it's not part of my natural wardrobe, right? I, didn't, I grew up actually here in California, and um, when I grew up, I didn't have access to this kind of shirt, but some of you did. Right? I know some of you grew up in the culture where this is a natural part. This is the new man. We put on as an exercise, we take off old, and we don't just then not have anything to wear, right? Go around naked. That's not the point. The point is that we put on what God has called us to put on, to put on the, the new self. And when we put on the new self as a practice, God is in the process of changing us. So, What does that look like specifically? And he gets very specific in this text. First, he says, here's an evidence of it, that I start speaking truthfully to my neighbor. Isn't that interesting that he was using that kind of language? Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Verse 25. For we're members of one another. Because God has connected us with our group of people that influence. And we're actually connected to them. So you must live a life of integrity that speaks truthfully to people around you. That's an evidence of a new work that God is doing in you. The old work is me not living with integrity. Trying to make myself look better than I am. Speaking in ways that aren't truthful. You know, boasting about things. Covering up the times where I'm not responsible. That's not what your neighbors, that circle of people around you need. They need to see you be a woman, be a man of truth. And when that happens, that helps them see Jesus. The righteousness of Christ, that's true righteousness as he describes it, and holiness 
is living like that, speaking truthfully, and no longer stealing. I was trying to take advantage of other people, whether that's financially or in any other way, but actually doing hard work, doing honest hard work. That's what he's calling us to. Why? Because when we do, then we can be the kind of people God has called us to be. We can be generous people. When we've done the hard work, then we can use the resources we have to bless other people, and that's God's design for us. And in that generosity, people see Jesus. But if we're lazy and we're just trying to take advantage of the system or other people, then God will not be glorified or honored. That's old way of living. That's old man living. And the text also says that I'll build up people with my words. Now, this Father's Day, so we've got a bunch of guys here, right? And ladies, I know that you do this in different ways. But guys are um, maybe hardwired, but they're certainly culturally oriented to trash talk. Right? To, to like just, just slip the knife in a little bit, you know, with whatever comment it might be. And, and we get very creative about that. Apparently, there's an ongoing dialogue with LeBron and some of the other warriors about this. And I heard, um, I heard one of them comment about the trash talking that happens on the court. That it's just natural. It's part of basketball. You know, it's what we do. Actually, according to Scripture, that's old man stuff. It might be acceptable to the culture of that sport, but it's not acceptable to the new man. That's not how we speak if, if we're actually going to pursue a life in the newness of Christ. We speak intentionally trying to build each other up, the text says to encourage one another, not settling for how the world does it because that's deceitful. It destroys other people. It hurts them and wounds them. But a person who wants to live in the newness of Christ actually pursues intentionally this, the building up of one another with the things that I say. And four, I get responsive to the Holy Spirit. The text says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That is when God is prompting you as a follower of his, to do something, to say something, to be something in the moment. Don't start trying to overanalyze or come up with excuses or say later. Respond to the Spirit of God's movement. That's what a new person does. A person who is living by the Spirit of God responds to God's Spirit. He doesn't grieve God's Spirit and bum God out, but they respond. And kindness Tenderness and forgiveness becomes priority in the way that I live my life, the way that I respond to other people. These are the practical things that are part of the new man living, the new woman living that God is calling us to, the new self. And Paul reminds us that this kind of change, it has real-world implications. I start talking the walk. It comes out of who I am, how I speak, how I react to other people. The passage also presses one more big point home. It says, although practice is essential, but that's not what changes you. Like this discipline is part of who you should be, but that's not the force of what changes you. It's Christ's forgiveness that changes your walk, your behavior. First by the way you think about things, then the way that you feel things, and then your behavior those things change as you respond to the forgiveness of God because Christ forgave you when you were still wrecked, when you were still an old man, when you're still doing things foolishly and wrongly. God forgave you. 
And now in that forgiveness, you respond as a man or a woman, a young person. You respond to the forgiveness of God. And this work, it's God's work. It's not your work. You're not trying to earn something or work really hard at something. It's God's work and you yielding up to that work that God wants to work inside of you. And through the book of Ephesians, it keeps pressing this point that that is a work of grace in your life. It's not about you doing it. It's the cross of Jesus that did this amazing thing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He became that old way that we once lived in that was deceitful and destroying us. And he took all that upon himself on the cross so that we could live a new life. So why would you try to take that back? Why would you try to live in the old and not live in the new? Why would you do that? Because Christ has already done this work for you if you only trust him and seek his change in your life. There is this great phrase, having been renewed in the spirit of your mind, do this. The spirit of God, if you have taken a step to trust Jesus, is in the business of renewal for you. And he starts with your priorities and your belief system, and he changes that. He starts softening your heart, and then he calls you to these actions we've been talking about this morning, a different life. Ray Stedman said that the Christian alone of all human beings, and I do not hesitate to say this because it's clearly the teaching of the Word of God from beginning to end, has the possibility of doing something entirely different, living on an entirely different principle, a different level, because she or he has been renewed in the spirit of their mind. When we believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as our Lord and Savior, we're renewed in the spirit of our mind, and our basic fundamental life is changed. We put off the old nature. Actually, in this translation, it says your old nature, but that's not the language. Listen, this is not your nature anymore. You have been created to be new and to live in the newness of what God is calling you to be. In your new self or new nature. So put it on. There's a world of difference between these two lives between us living in Christ and demonstrating God's power through us, which he'll eventually talk about, the fruit of God's spirit in our life in Ephesians, that this great work that he's doing in us is about the new man being worked out, and it's a daily discipline. So let me just give you two application points quickly. First, try memorizing a couple verses just so you get in your brain each morning this week. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19 says, But the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of witness is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Just get that in your brain. Be thinking about the two distinct lives, natures, ways of living. And secondly, intentionally put on your new nature when you get dressed every morning. Just... Remind yourself as you look in the mirror, not just to like look pretty on the, you know, here, the physical exterior sense, but that what God is doing, putting on the new nature, taking off the old is essential. And just ask the, the Lord God who longs to do this in you this week 
God, would you help me take off the old stuff and the way that I'm, the, the world around me has prioritized and put on this newness of life you've called me to. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this good word and your challenge. God, help us to be men and women who follow your word and live it out. Be transforming first our minds and softening our hearts and then exhibiting it in our behavior that we are new and to be called to be live a life in Christ Jesus that exhibits this newness. Lord, work this out in us this week. In Christ's name, all God's people said. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.